Glad to be here with you all today. Uh, we're back in 1 Samuel. I gave you a little bit of a break over holidays, but we're back in it, okay? Um, it's actually really interesting. I, I subbed at Bayside this past week, and I was talking with another one of the PE coaches, and he's, he's a believer, and um, we just started talking. He, I told him I'm a minister, and I said, I'm preaching out of 1 Samuel for a while since August, and he's like, oh, I just heard a great sermon about uh, Nabal and Abigail, and I was like, really? Because I'm literally preaching that on Sunday. And I just feel like it was so random, but usually when things like that happen, they're not random. I think the Holy Spirit's at work in some way. I'm not sure what it is. I don't like calling it a coincidence because I think the Spirit is active in those kind of conversations. So I'm excited to be here this morning. I don't know what the Spirit might be doing, uh, but I just pray that the Spirit is active this morning for whoever has to hear something uh, from the Word today. Uh, but just to recap a little bit, three weeks ago now, we were in 1 Samuel chapters 23 and 24, talking about evil doers and evil deeds, right? We talked about the three things taking away from that is that we need to seek wise counsel in our lives where we rely on ourselves too much, that we need to, need to help and ask for help from other people. Uh, we need to honestly look at the deeds that we put out into the world. What are we actively putting into the world from the things that we do and the things and the conversations that we have with others? Look at those things, judge accordingly. And then the last thing we talked about, and this was the hard thing that I really wanted to challenge you all kind of over the break and over the holiday season, but to actually, the emphasis on actually pray for strength and weakness. Because I think that's a difficult challenge because in order to pray for strength when you are weak, you must first be what? Weak. You must first recognize where you are weak and then pray into that place and so many times, we don't want to look at that part of ourselves, right? We don't want to look and say, I am unable to do this, or I am unable to do that. We want to say, I am good in all things because I am good. No. Pray for strength and weakness, because that's where God can truly use and truly be powerful in your life to win souls for him. So today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25, but before we get there, I want us to just use our imagination this morning, okay? Can we do that? Can you nod your head with me a little bit? We need to wake, we need to wake up our imagination, okay? Because I want you to feel a certain way this morning, okay? I want to manipulate your emotions. I'm just kidding. You don't, shouldn't, shouldn't say that up here. Um, but I want us to use our imagination. So if you can, please do your best. You might not see yourself in a situation like this, but I pray that one of these situations you could possibly see yourselves in, okay? So the very first one, I want you to just think of yourself as a fisherman, or woman, fisherwoman, fisherman, whatever. And uh, you're excited. It's finally a Saturday. You don't have to work. And you've planned it out. The weather's perfect. The wind is not blowing too hard. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. The fish are supposed to be in the water, and you're excited. And so you set your alarm for 3 o'clock. You wake up. You get all your equipment all loaded up. You got your kayak, you got your paddles, you got your fishing poles, you got everything you need for a good day on the water. And you finally get to the water and you're a great fisherman because it's still dark when you're putting your boat into the water, your kayak. And you get out there and it's pitch black. You see the moon, you see a little bit of reflection off, off, the, off the water. And you just love being out there and you're paddling along and it's quiet. There's not a lot of turbulence in the water this morning. And you're paddling along, and you finally get to a good spot, and you're casting, and just silent. All you hear is the reel. Maybe your lure is bouncing off the water a little bit, and as you do that over and over again, you're just at ease. 
And then suddenly you hear a crashing on the shore of the river, wherever you're fishing. And you think to yourself, you're a great fisherman. It's just a pelican, right? Pelicans do this a lot. They, they come in, they're, they're, they're great fishermen themselves. They splash the water and sometimes can jolt your senses. So you continue to cast. But out of the corner of your eye, you see little ripples in the water. And you see the, the, the triangular ripples coming towards you quicker and quicker. Out of the corner of your eye, you see it, and it's fast approaching. And then all of a sudden, you look over to your right, and there it is. It's a turtle trying to greet you for your morning. So you, you're, you're fine, okay? You're fine. I didn't want to scare you all too much. That's the, that's the very first one. I hope your heart was racing a little bit more. So if you didn't see yourself in the water, maybe you'll see yourself here. It's 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. It's Friday. You're completely, yeah, right? Amen. Let's, let's go for that. You're driving home from work. You're on the interstate on 95, going south, north, wherever you need to go. And just like every other day after work, there's traffic on traffic. But you're, you're pretty good at driving through traffic. You go 79 miles per hour. That's your spot. You hit it on cruise control. You're right in the middle lane, and you're cruising. You're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner tonight, what you're going to do over the weekend. You're excited. You're pumped. But then you see some headlights behind you, and they're coming right up behind you. And you're going 79 in the middle lane. And you look to your right, and the entire right lane is kind of just going slow. The slow pokes on the side, on the right, they're staying where they're supposed to be, okay? They're in the right lane, going 65, whatever they're doing. They're going slow. You're going 79 in the middle lane, but someone's right behind you, and you say, okay, maybe the left lane's packed. You look, there's nobody in the left lane. There's absolutely nobody in the left lane, and you're driving 79 in the middle lane, and this car comes right up behind you, and all of a sudden, they're flashing their high beams at you. And you're like, I can't go over here, and you're supposed to go over there. That's the law of the road. I'm going 79 in the middle lane, and the left lane is wide open. Please go around me. But yet they refuse to go around you. They keep doing the lights. They're even honking their horn at you. So you're trying as best you can. You got white knuckles on the steering wheel. And finally you get off your exit. They never go in the left lane. They just keep going to Vero, wherever they're going. I don't know. You feel something there a little bit? I don't know. Maybe not. Third scenario. It's holiday time, and I'm sure a lot of you had holiday dinners with family. Sometimes they're very fun. But this one was not very fun, Okay. You're, you, this is Christmas time, and a lot of your extended family is in town. The family from the other state or the other county or the other place you only see once or twice a year. You guys are sitting around the table. You might have drinks at the table, some appetizer, something. Dinner's not served yet, and you're having small talk. You're talking about weather. You're talking about those Jaguars who won the South, right? That's what I'm talking about today. You're talking about the things that you always talk about every single year when you gather around the same table with the same people that you see once a year. And then all of a sudden, um, they ask you about something that changed over the year that you were hoping they would not bring up. You have that relationship that you just got out of that they say, how's so-and-so doing in your life? And all of a sudden, your face turns a little more red. Or how's that job How's that coworker? How's that person? That one thing that you were promised that they weren't going to talk about, that you were praying that please just don't bring up that one thing and we will have a great dinner. But unfortunately, they bring that thing up. 
And now you got to sit there the rest of the night, and it's just awkward. Your face is red, and the more that you try to make things normal, it actually makes things more awkward. You try to force conversation in a different way, but you say it a little too quickly or a little too high-pitched to where everybody in the room knows, this is weird. Whatever it is. I hope that that's my last imagination station I want to do this morning. But I want you to have those emotions, whatever they were for you, if you connected or not, I pray that you're able to see what I was trying to bring you to. And I want you to just to sit there a little bit, okay? We're going to come back later, but I want you to sit with those uncomfortable feelings for the rest of our time together this morning, okay? Fun times. All right, so let's get back to 1 Samuel chapter 25, okay? Just to put a little context of where we're at. 1 Samuel 25, 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. I wanted to start here because this is where everything kind of started for us in this entire study, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we meet Samuel's mom, Hannah, who's crying out to God, please give me a son. If you give me a son, I will dedicate him and his life to God forever. And that promise becomes fulfilled in Samuel, and Hannah does exactly what she said she was going to do. She brings Samuel, and she, she, he is raised up before the Lord, and he's a great servant of the Lord, right? He, he anoints Saul. He anoints David. He does everything in his power and capacity to do what he's called to do, and this is kind of the end of an era. But I wanted to remind you of Hannah a little bit before we continue on, because Hannah, remember, is kind of this idealized version of what Israel is supposed to look like, right? Crying out to God, waiting for God to answer her prayers. And guess what? God showed up for Hannah in bringing Samuel. And Samuel's life was a lived fulfillment of that promise. And now we're seeing kind of a turning of the page for Israel. But nevertheless, it is still a reminder of where Israel is supposed to be. Moving on to verses 2 and 3. A certain man from Moan, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. This is interesting. I relate so much with this relationship right here, right? Michelle is intelligent and beautiful, and her husband is surly and mean. I don't know. I just had to make a dumb joke there, okay? Uh, but we do learn a few things here. Just, this is kind of the story that's going to be going on throughout uh, chapter 25 here. Okay, we have these two people, and we learn a few things about them, right? The first thing is they're very wealthy. They have plenty of livestock. They have plenty of things to sustain them. We're going to find out here in a few verses, actually, that they have people working for them as well. So they have, they have money. Abigail is smart. She's intelligent and beautiful. The only woman in the entire Bible who's described this way, intelligent and beautiful, but we have this guy, Nabal, who is surly and mean in his dealings, and he is a Calebite. And so just before we continue on, it's very important to clock this, okay? That he is surly and mean, but not only that, but he was a Calebite. So if you're a good Bible student, you remember who Caleb was, right? Caleb and Joshua, they were friends together with Moses when they were going through to find the promised land. And they were the only two guys that brought back a good report to Moses. Remember this? Nod your head if you're with me, okay? They were the only two people that brought back a good report saying, God can give us, deliver us into wherever we're going to go. I believe in that. That's what Joshua and Caleb were all about. 
Joshua and Caleb were the only two men from their generation to actually be able to enter the promised land. So talking about idealized human beings, these guys are it. Now fast forward a couple hundred years, we're far from Caleb. And I think we're supposed to make this distinction because I think the writer is trying to say, hey, remember Caleb? This guy Nabal's nothing like him, okay? Remember all the good things that he was about? Yeah, Nabal's the opposite. Even though he has kind of the lineage and the name of a Calebite, he is nothing like Caleb. Kind of a metaphor, again, again, for how Israel, how far they have fallen from where God wants them to be. You were a Calebite, but now you're just Nabal. You were my people, but now you're turning your back on me left and right. Okay, so remember that as well. I'm asking you to remember a lot this morning, but I think you can do it. Okay, continuing on, verses 4 through 9. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and they waited. And we already know a little bit about Nabal. Things are going to go sideways very quickly here. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? All right, Nabal. Interesting response. But, you know, as I read the Bible, I, again, want to remind myself, like I remind you all, that these are real people. Maybe Nabal really doesn't know who David is. There's a lot of people. Right? They didn't have cell phones or Instagram or anything to know who certain people were. Uh, maybe he doesn't know who David is, but then I remembered something that we talked about a few weeks ago. This song that was going around that made Saul so upset. Do you remember this song that people were singing from 1 Samuel chapter 21? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. This was being sung by people who were not Israelites. These are being sung by pagans, people who have no idea, who are not Calebites, Right? So, as I remember this, I kind of reconcile it. It's very unlikely that Nabal is telling the truth here. Okay, he's a mean and surly guy. He's not generous in his dealings. It just seems to me that he's going to play dumb and hope for the best. Not a great strategy for our guy, Nabal. Okay, he's not our guy. Okay, just to be, just to be clear. Continuing on in verses 12 through 13. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. This was a bad day for David. Do not cross him in this way. But again, as I read these verses, I was kind of struck again with the person I've kind of come to know over these past few weeks and months about who David is and how he deals with people. You know? You guys might know David a little more personally now. I think we do. And as I read this and as I read his reaction, I kind of stop and say, wait a minute. Why is he so upset right now? 
Because if you think about it, David's been through a whole lot worse than what he's going through right now. I mean, the very fact that he's in the wilderness, do you know why he's there? He's running from the king of Israel, who has had plenty of opportunities and chances to kill him, to put him in prison, to do whatever Saul wanted to do with him. And then David has had plenty of opportunity to do the same thing to Saul. But does David ever do it? Shake your heads like this. No, he doesn't. He is literally being pursued left and right every day for years and not doing anything to Saul. Yet this random guy, Nabal, gets him so worked up that he brings 400 people to go and do probably some pretty awful things to Nabal and everything that he owns. And I ask myself, why? And really, I start to get to the point, this is, sounds like something Saul would do, right? And I kind of get to this kind of resting place. This behavior, this is what anger does to people. Have you ever felt this way before? Maybe you didn't grab 400 of your best friends to go take care of a situation. But you can kind of nod your heads with me a little bit. This is what anger tends to do to people. Remember those stories we started out with. Maybe a certain story didn't connect with you, but I'm hoping at least one of them did. And it kind of bubbled up some emotions inside of you a little bit. See, what's, what's really cool about humans is that we have these parts in our brains that just react to situations that can be extremely helpful. Like if you're in a kayak and all of a sudden you see ripples in the water, you get in the kayak and you leave, right? You don't stick around and say, let's see what this animal has to say to me, right? This isn't Dora the Explorer. I'm not going to talk to you. Um, our brains function in a way to say, let's get out of here as quickly as possible, or let's fight, let's do something. The fight or flight response, these hormones that are released in our brains, our brains are really cool. God did a really good job with our brains. But sometimes our brains do the thing that they're supposed to do in a bad situation, if you know what I mean. Like when you're behind the wheel of a car and you get that hit of a hormone rush from your amygdala, that fight or flight is on in your head and you're behind the wheel of a 2,000 pound vehicle and you really want to do damage to that other 2,000 pound vehicle behind you, right? You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. But this is what anger tends to do. You start to see red, right? Your, your face becomes flushed. Your stomach drops a little bit. Your body starts reacting and you kind of lose control of who you were before, before the anger took over. And the reason why I wanted to tell those different stories before is that they don't all have to do with anger, Right? Some of them have to do with fear, anger, embarrassment. All these things kind of do the similar thing to your brain. And I think all those things kind of combine here together for David in this moment to the point where he says, I need 400 guys to go take care of this Nabal character because he's doing something to me that I don't like. He's really acting like Saul. He's not acting like David. He's allowing his fear, this embarrassment, this anger to bubble up inside of him and control his actions in the world. That's not what God's chosen servant is supposed to do, right? He's not acting like himself, but yet this is the final straw and he must do something about it. See, our brains, they naturally adapt to stressful situations. And so far, we've seen David do really good. Remember three weeks ago where he had the opportunity to kill Saul, but then he's convicted by the Holy Spirit to overcome those maybe natural reactions that he might have towards Saul? He has done really good overcoming these things. But 
It's just crazy to see how this one thing that triggers all these different things, fear, anger, embarrassment, all at once, drive him to do something completely different from his character. And we have a similar experience as well. But thankfully, this is not the end of the story, right? Thank God for Abigail. Let's read what she says. Verse 18. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sheaves of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and two hundred cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Very, very smart woman. Then she goes from this place, she brings all these gifts, but not only does she give these gifts to David, she has something else to say to him. And this is a little bit lengthy, so please bear with me here together. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes before him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from the bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to you, my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant, your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as far from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord... Uh, has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Abigail here does the most perfect response possible for David to hear. Right? It reminds me of what happened a few weeks ago again with Jonathan. Right, where Jonathan, he goes and he encourages David in the strength of the Lord. Abigail does a similar thing, but with great, perfect sense of timing here, right? She reminds, most importantly, who David is and who he serves. I love how she talks here, right here, these last, the, the third line from the bottom, uh, the four, beginning on the fourth, not have his, on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. She speaks exactly to the situation, and she she says the exact right words to get David to recognize who he is and who he belongs to. Now, I think that there's there's a sense to where, I bet you if David goes and does this, um, he he could write a psalm, right? We could find a psalm where he's grieved for avenging Nabal, and he would, again, dedicate his life to God, and I think things would be okay, Um, But I love the way that Abigail puts this, this needless bloodshed. Don't even bother yourself with it because God's going to take care of you as he has done for a long time. Abigail gave him the space to see how small Nabal was in the grand scheme of things. Continue on here. 
David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Her good judgment is what David stops and recognizes. And kind of by saying her good judgment, he realizes in that moment, oh man, I almost had some bad judgment. I almost made a bad call there. And to be clear, I want to say that this is not a good story because the way this ends is that Abigail goes back and Nabal's out partying like a king. He's throwing a banquet, he's eating, he's drinking, he's being merry because guess what? He just stood up to David. The king, God's guy, David, I stood up to him, man, I am, the, I am the guy. And eventually Abigail tells Nabal what took place and Nabal's heart fails him. And eventually he dies. I had a conversation with Pat earlier this week talking about uh, God's will in our lives and if we're truly pursuing God's will and we're doing it as best we can and, and we're, we're trying to follow what the Holy Spirit is guiding us to do, God will stop you from making some, some bad decisions along the way if you're truly pursuing him. And I think that's exactly what took place here. Thank God for Abigail and her good judgment because she allowed David's heart to be softened when he was outraged. It shows us how important good judgment is along our walk with Christ. And how just even in a blink of an eye, our hearts can be turned, our anger, our embarrassment, our fear can combine to make some bad decisions in our lives. So my question this morning that I want us to kind of dwell on is, how can we embody Abigail's judgment in tense situations? How can we take on this, she's able to be clear-minded, how did she do that? I think there's two things that are really important for us to recognize. Is one that we need to practice awareness. Okay, let's say that together. Practice awareness. One more time. Practice awareness. I'm forcing you to be aware right now. We're practicing it together. Okay? Because the one thing about Abigail is I'm sure this isn't the first time Nabal has been an idiot. Right? Right? She says he's a fool and folly comes in his path. Right? This is his nature. I am sure Abigail has had to clean up after Nabal time and time again. She's aware of what's going on, and she knows how to act. It, scripture literally says in verse 18 of chapter 25, Abigail acted quickly because she knew exactly what to do, right? To me, this is, I don't want to get off on a, on a tangent, but like, I'm, I'm worried about what took place prior to this, where Abigail kind of might have been not necessarily as ready to respond, She's practiced at this. And what I take away is that sometimes we walk through life and we're just not aware of what's going on. Things happen and we kind of just stay in our lane. We don't allow the things around us to affect us like they should. We don't allow certain injustices that go on around us to really affect us as they should. The people who have no voice, the people who are losing their lives, the people who are systematically oppressed we are unaware of so many times. So I want to encourage this morning a prayer, again, a difficult prayer for us to pray is to make me aware of the things that make me scared. Make me aware of the things that I am unaware of right now. Make me aware of the burdens that my brothers and sisters are carrying that I've never had to carry in my life. The thing is, is that when you pray that more often, 
I think that those opportunities come up in your lives more often. It's a kind of a cause and effect. Or at least the more that you verbally pray it or write it down, you're more aware of the things that are going on around you, you see? It's like if I say, hey, don't think about a pink elephant. Please don't think about that. Guess what you're thinking about? The pink elephant, right? But if I say practice awareness, be, help me to be more aware of those who are oppressed around me. Guess who you're going to see more around you? The oppressed people. The people who don't have voice. So my prayer this morning is, as we're seeking to make good judgment calls, allow us to be more aware of the hurt and the suffering around us. And the second thing is to practice patience because you aren't that special. Okay, I want you to turn to your neighbor, okay? For real. Say, you aren't that special. All right, yeah. You aren't that special. Just, you know, Jimmy, you shouldn't say that in church because you know what? Like, God saved us. You are, you know, you are co-heirs with Christ. That's, that's amazing. But guess what? If you leave out that with Christ part, guess what you become? King of your own kingdom. If you're not co-heirs with Christ, you're co-heirs with you, yourself, and you. And you are not that special. I promise you that. Nabal embodies the kingdom of self. I don't know who David is. Even though he's of the same tribe of Judah, even though I'm a Calebite, even though I stand for the things that God should stand for in name, right? I don't know who David is. He is a kingdom unto himself. He celebrates himself as if he is king. And David kind of gets caught up in this time right here where he's like, I've been treated unjustly. I'm going to treat myself like I should be treated and take advantage and avenge the blood that I should be avenging. My kingdom matters. Guess what? Your kingdom doesn't matter. And I'm not trying to put people down. I'm not trying to say that God hasn't created you specially because I believe that he has. But when we forget where we come from, when we forget that co-heirship, we think too highly of ourselves than we ought. The things that are important to you are definitely important to you. I don't want to diminish those things. I don't want to diminish your burdens at all. I don't want to diminish your triumphs at all. But you just aren't that special. You were created in the image of God, yes. You were created to do, hand, to do good works that are, that are set before you to do. You're, all these things are true. But if you're doing them on your own, they're going to fail. If you're doing them to fulfill something minor, something minute in your life, the person that you want to like you, the people that you want to accept you, those people are going to die and so are you. You aren't that special and neither are they. If you're holding grudges because someone wronged you, if you're, if you're so angry when you look at that person that you can't even utter any word to them that's not awkward or, or fearful or, or angry, you should just let that go. And I know it's easy for me to say, but at the end of the day, whatever that argument it is, in the grand scheme of things, God can redeem that, right? God can redeem that hardship. God can redeem all these things if you allow your kingdom to shrink and his kingdom to grow within you. But this is going to take practicing patience. Practicing patience with the people you do not want to be patient with who are not patient with you. Right? This is not cause and effect all the time. Sometimes you've got to be the bigger person and say, you know what? The kingdom of God is growing within me and I have to be that light to the world, even in a dark place. 
but it takes practice and it takes patience. And I guarantee you, Abigail was probably the most patient woman in that area, living with a guy like Nabal. Thank God for her judgment. Thank God for her awareness and her patience in the story that we gleaned this morning together. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for the example of Abigail. I thank you for the natural human emotions that we experience, the the things that we fear, the things that make us angry, the things that make us embarrassed, all those natural reactions that happen in our brain that you created for us, God, that, that that fight or flight response that helps us in so many situations, God. I pray that in the situations that doesn't help us, that we're able to, to remember Abigail and the good judgment that she shows, to be patient, to be aware, and to say, God, how can your kingdom grow more in my life and my kingdom shrink? God, help us to be more aware Help us to be aware of those who are systematically oppressed and those who do not have a voice. Help us to just see where we are blind. God, help us to be patient with those who are impatient with us or be patient with those people who really we don't care for. Help us to recognize that we are not special on our own, but God, you make us, you make us special through Christ. So just let me pray, amen. If anybody has any needs this morning, this is the time where we offer to come forward. If you don't feel, feel comfortable coming forward, that's okay. But if you're struggling with awareness, if you're struggling with your patience, if you're struggling at all, we want to be available so that we can be aware and be patient together. If you have any needs at all, won't you come while we stand and sing?